0: Uh, just so the kids are heading out and ask Madeline if she'd come and give us our reading, which is Luke five, seventeen to twenty-six.
1: One day Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village in Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" We have seen remarkable things today. This is the word of the Lord.
0: What is your greatest need? The way a person answers that question will uh, very much depend on their situation. Uh, You know, someone who's struggling financially might say uh, a job or uh, a pay rise or maybe just money. Um, someone who's very lonely might say uh, a a good friend or a relationship. Uh, Someone who's ill or infirm might say uh, health, wellness, healing. And some people, maybe maybe someone who'd let down a loved one very badly or someone who'd committed a terrible crime or atrocity, that person might say forgiveness is my greatest need. Uh, but I think that response would be rare. I mean, for most of us, we would have to mess things up pretty badly. Uh, but before we were able to recognize or admit that forgiveness is our greatest need above everything else. But it is, no matter who we are. And we can see that clearly from the paralyzed man's encounter with Jesus. Uh, So after his uh, time of temptation in the wilderness, Jesus uh, went to uh, Galilee. He based himself in a town called uh, Capernaum, and uh, he did amazing things there in Capernaum. He uh, delivered a um, a demoniac of an evil spirit. He healed lots of people. uh, Is where he called uh, his first disciples, and he generally caused a great deal of excitement. And Luke tells us of an occasion where Jesus was teaching in a house that was packed full of people. And one of the reasons that the house was so full is that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law had come from far and wide to scrutinize Jesus. Uh, this is the first time that Luke introduces the Pharisees to us, but their ongoing opposition to Jesus is something that he'll keep drawing our attention to as we read through his gospel. Uh, the Pharisees were essentially a religious pressure group, a movement that placed an emphasis on the law. And I guess, you know, it started with a good idea. They basically wanted people to obey the Bible. And we'd say, well, that's not a bad thing. Uh, but their thinking and their perspective, their viewpoint was completely skewed. They believed that if the people, if God's people obeyed the law to the letter, that would create the right conditions for God to rescue Israel, for God to rescue his people from their hated Roman oppressors. Kind of like if we follow these rules and regulations, not just the ones that are in the Bible, but all these other ones that we've invented then God will be pleased with us, and he'll do what we've all been hoping that he'll do. They thought they could usher in God's kingdom by strict observance of the law. But they were so strict and judgmental and uh, pedantic uh, that they made everyone's lives a misery because they were trying to enforce this for, for all of the Jewish people. And uh, the Pharisees' uh, main cause, if you could call it a, a cause, was the coming of God's kingdom. The coming of God's kingdom. And now they hear about a young prophet, Jesus, who spoke a lot about God's kingdom. He drew large crowds. Uh, he seemed to be starting some kind of a movement, maybe even to rival the Pharisees' movement. Uh, He was unorthodox. He seemed to have a different agenda, a different way of looking at things to to, to how the Pharisees thought saw them. And rumors were circulating that he'd been breaking Jewish laws and customs. Nevertheless, he was also doing all these miracles. So the Pharisees turn out in force to get the measure of him. Hence, the house where Jesus was teaching was rampant with people. So this is quite an intense moment. Jesus is teaching. He's being scrutinized by all these Pharisees and teachers of the law who are listening very carefully to every single word he says. And what will Jesus say? How will they react? What's going to happen? Well, I don't think anyone could have predicted what actually did happen. A group of men turned up carrying a paralyzed man on a mat who they were taking to Jesus. But the house was so full of people, they couldn't even get through the door. So presumably, one of them made a suggestion. One of them must have said something like, well, let's take him up on the roof. We can dig a hole in the roof. We'll lower him down through the hole in the roof. What could possibly go wrong? And his mates were like that. Yeah, that's a great idea. Foolproof. And the guy on the mat's probably thinking, "Hmm, not sure." Anyway, the uh, roof would have been flat, uh, with steps going up from the outside. It would have been made of, out of mud or uh, mud and straw, so you'd literally have to dig your way uh, through it. Uh, Luke doesn't focus on this aspect of the story, uh, but I can't help thinking that it would have been difficult for Jesus to continue teaching. You know, from the point where dust and debris started to fall into the room, I imagine it would have been quite a distraction. I mean, in this church, if someone goes to the toilet, it's a big distraction. Imagine someone coming down through the, through the roof. And what about the owner of the house? If that had been my house, I'd have been up on the roof like a shot. So what on earth do you think you're doing? Whose mega smart idea is this? You know, get down, you know, stop what you're doing. Maybe not even that polite. We don't know whose house it was, uh, but we do know from uh, chapter 4 that Jesus held meetings in Peter's house where he was based in Capernaum. I I think it's likely that this was Peter's house, and I can imagine Peter wanting to go up and deal with his situation and Jesus saying, no, it's okay, leave it. So there's a big hole in the roof. Everybody's covered in dust and debris, and down comes this bloke on a mat. And there must have been that (gasps) moment where everyone thought he was going to tip off, uh, but he didn't. And he comes down and he's lowered right in front of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but if I was in that man's position, I'd have felt pretty self-conscious. The fact that he's allowed this to happen shows how desperate he is to encounter Jesus. Uh, And the men who lowered him, they were intent in getting uh, their friend or their relative or their neighbor or whoever this man was to them, They're intent on getting him in front of Jesus. They went to a lot of trouble. Uh, Presumably they're willing to foot the bill for this massive hole in the roof. Uh, They don't have a fully formed understanding of the gospel. Nobody did at this point. Uh, But they know that if anyone can help this paralyzed man, it's Jesus. They put their hope and their trust in Jesus, and there was a risk and a cost to that. And Jesus uh, recognizes that what they've done is a demonstration of faith, not just the faith of the men who carried the paralyzed man, but the, the paralyzed man's faith as well, uh, because he's agreed to this. He may have even urged it. He may have even asked them to do it. So this man is lying there in front of Jesus, And Jesus looks at him and says, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now you might think that dismantling somebody's roof and lowering a paralytic down through the hole would be quite a a surprising and shocking thing to do. Uh, But that scene was completely eclipsed by Jesus' words. Friend, your sins are forgiven. There must have been an audible gasp. (gasps) And then an uncomfortable silence. Notice it says the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves. So they didn't say it out loud, but they were thinking it. Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? There's no ambiguity here. In first century Jewish culture, a claim to be able to forgive sins is tantamount to a claim to be God. You and I cannot forgive the sins that have been perpetrated against somebody else. It, you, know, it, 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 we, it, it, you know, we can forgive the sins that have been perpetrated against us, but we can't forgive the sins that have been perpetrated against somebody else. You know, if on the way out of church today, um, Steve uh, drove into the back of Alan's car, uh, smashed it up maliciously, and I went out of the church, and I went to see I said, okay, Steve, I forgive you. You are completely forgiven. And Alan would be like, huh? Hang on, it's my it's my car that's been smashed up. How How can you forgive him? We can forgive the sins that have been perpetrated against us, but we can't forgive someone of all their sins. Only God can do that. And the biblical understanding of sin is that all sin... Is against God. And it's actually not hard for us to understand this. You know, if you hurt one of my children, you hurt me. If you sin against one of my children, you sin against me. And the same is true with God God is the creator and the father of all. If you sin against any human being, even if it's just a thought, you're singing, sinning against God. If we sin against the natural world, against God's creation in some way, we're sinning against God. If we sin against ourselves, we're sinning against God. All sin is against God, and only God can forgive all sin. So when Jesus said, Your friend, sorry, friend, your sins are forgiven, he is in fact claiming to be God. In their hearts, the Pharisees instantly accused Jesus of blasphemy. I mean, this is better than they expected. They wanted something that they could latch onto, that they could accuse Jesus for. Uh, and as far as they're concerned, this is perfect. He is being blasphemous. Um, uh, the, the most heinous crime in their eyes and one deserving of death. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. So he said, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. The man's sins had been forgiven, Jesus told him so. But Jesus wanted the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and in fact everyone who was there, he wanted them to know that this was the reality, that he did and does have the authority to forgive sins. And he said as much, he said, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Son of Man was Jesus' favorite way of referring to himself. Uh, we find it in Daniel chapter 7, and if I read verses 13 and 14... Um, you will understand what Jesus is claiming about himself when he uses this title, Son of Man. This is uh, what it says in, in Daniel 7. In my vision at night, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So the Pharisees are already thinking that Jesus is blasphemous. You can imagine the effect on them of using that title, Son of Man, to describe himself. So the Pharisees are thinking that Jesus is the worst kind of blasphemer. And uh, Jesus is saying, no, I'm not blaspheming. I am the son of man. I am God's Messiah. I am the man whose identity is God. And I do have authority to forgive sins. He turns to the paralyzed man. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. And that's exactly what he does. He gets up, he takes up his mat and he walks. He walks home rejoicing and praising God. What a powerful encounter that man had with Jesus. So the question is, when the paralytic was lowered in front of Jesus, why did Jesus deal with his need for forgiveness before he dealt with his need for healing? Uh, Two reasons. Firstly, Jesus knew the effect that his words would have. He wanted the Pharisees to know that he uh, had and has complete authority. He wanted them to know that he is God. He knew they wouldn't accept that, but he made it very clear. Uh, secondly, Jesus dealt with the man's greatest need first. Despite appearances, the man's greatest need was for forgiveness, and that is actually true for every single one of us. The truth is none of us can keep God's laws or achieve God's standard of moral perfection. The Pharisees thought they could, and it turned them into mean judgmental, unloving hypocrites. No one is good in the truest sense of the word. and Jesus said as much. When a certain ruler addressed Jesus as good teacher, Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. doesn't matter how hard we try, compared with God's perfection, we are all deeply flawed and deeply sinful. That's why we need Jesus. He died in our place. He took the punishment we deserve, which is death and separation from God. He died and he rose to new life. And in so doing, he has secured forgiveness and everlasting life for everyone who will put their faith in him. But here's the deal. When we give our lives to Christ, he will change and transform us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And when Christ returns to make all things new, only then will that process of change and transformation be completed in us. In other words, we will be made perfect mentally, emotionally, physically, morally, and spiritually. We will finally be what God has created us to be. When Jesus returns, the paralyzed man was in need of physical heal, healing, and God cares deeply uh, about uh, all of our, our needs. But healing without forgiveness could only ever be temporary. Even if that man was completely healed and he uh, his his body was restored, without forgiveness, he would at some point die and be separated from God. Forgiveness opens the door to eternal life in a renewed and restored creation where our earthly bodies are made whole. Our earthly bodies are made whole. So forgiveness always leads to healing in the end. Not just our physical healing, but the healing of our entire beings. You'd think someone was coming down through the roof. That was joking. So the paralyzed man received healing immediately. And the healing miracles that we see in the Gospels, the the, the healings that we see today, point forward to the time when all God's people will be completely healed in every sense. Now there's nothing to indicate that the paralyzed man was more sinful than anyone else. But in first century Jewish culture, if someone was stricken with a disease or affliction or uh, a, a severe misfortune, people would have assumed that it was some kind of punishment from God, either for the, man, for the person's sins or for those of their parents. And Jesus refutes this in John 9, uh, when Jesus heals a man who was blind from birth. The disciples ask him, who sinned? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned. He didn't mean that they were without sin. He meant that um, the man's blindness was not his fault, nor, it will, nor was it the fault of his parents. Uh, on another occasion, in Luke 13, a tower collapsed. Uh, the Tower of Salome. it killed 18 people. And everyone would have been wondering what those people had done to deserve such an untimely and gruesome uh, end. And Jesus said this, he said, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. In other words, we're all sinful. The penalty for sin is death and separation from God. And so we need to repent, turn to Christ and receive his forgiveness. Once we put our faith in Jesus, he moves us from death to life, but we will not be perfect this side of the grave. Sin continues to have an impact in our lives and on our characters. Now, the closer we can get to Jesus, the more we can expect that impact to diminish. But it's still there, and the truth is, sin can have a crippling effect, a paralyzing effect on us in a spiritual sense. All sin has negative effects. Consequences. All sin has negative consequences. Even the things that we think, even the things that we think that we're doing in secret, all sin has negative consequences. I'm not talking about God punishing us. I'm saying that we cannot twist the moral fabric of this world and not have it snap back at us in some way. Sin has negative consequences always and if it's persistent sin it can really begin to wear us down and make us feel distant from god last week we were talking about the level devil's lies and the devil will try to capitalize on our sin we will hear things like you're not much of a christian are you or you can't change you can't stop doing that you can't resist that temptation don't even try Or how can you even think about entering God's presence? Look what you were thinking. Look what you were doing. Look how you've been behaving. God won't want anything to do with you. Or you might as well give up trying to live a Christian life. It's just too hard. Just go with the flow. Forget about it. These are all lies that we might hear. The devil feeds off our sin, tries to... To, to to use it to drive a wedge between us and God. And that's why forgiveness is such an important theme for us. Not just the forgiveness that we receive when we turn to Christ in the first place, but the assurance of God's ongoing forgiveness. No matter how badly we've messed up, no matter how many times we've messed up, even the same thing, we can repent and turn to Jesus in the knowledge that we that he will forgive us. We can start every day with a clean slate. Now, that doesn't mean that when we repent, we can repent with the intention of continuing to do that thing that we're repenting of, because that's not true repentance. Repentance means that we genuinely want to leave this thing behind. We want to Turn away from it. We want to turn to Christ. We hate this thing. Now, some things, you know, some sins can really get a hold of us. And it's not easy to turn away. And it takes time and time and time again of keep rejecting this thing before we can finally leave it behind forever. And maybe with some things, you know, we won't, we won't leave every sin behind forever until we're finally reunited with Christ in that renewed and restored creation, but, it's a, but repentance is, is, is fighting against that sin, seeing the stuff in our lives that needs to change, and not being satisfied to just leave it, saying no i 'm going to keep fighting against this, and every time we fall down saying no this is i 'm not having this I, I, you know and keep turning back to Christ, and over time. We find ourselves getting stronger and stronger in whatever area it is that we're trying to, um, that we're trying to overcome. Forgiveness is powerful. Forgiveness is empowering because it gives us repeated opportunities to be a better version of ourselves. And that is why we pray the confession each week as a church, we pray it together. We pray it together because that's an acknowledgement that every single one of us needs to repent. If we're sat there thinking, well, I'm okay. I, I haven't done anything this week that I need to repent of, then we are kidding ourselves. Every single one of us needs to repent, and that's why we do it together each week. And afterwards, we receive the promise of forgiveness to remind us that we can continue in that right relationship with God. We don't need to continue feeling sort of disjointed and separated and distant from God. We can come back into His presence. We can be close to God. We can know that He loves us, that He's for us, and that we can have that close relationship with Him. The paralyzed man, his greatest need was for forgiveness. And actually, no matter who we are, for each one of us, that is our greatest need as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we remember that um, the Apostle Paul talked about fighting the good fight. And anyone who's serious about dealing with sin in their lives will realize uh, that it is a fight. It is a battle. Uh, it's uh, not easy, but it is entirely the right thing to not be satisfied with the sin that we see in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you will help us to keep fighting against it, to keep turning to you in repentance, to uh, make every effort to be changed and transformed according to what your Spirit is wanting to do in and through us. Father, we pray that we'll be totally open to the process and that we will be committed to fighting this fight every day in the knowledge that through Jesus we can receive forgiveness, we can go on receiving forgiveness, and we can have a right relationship with you. We thank you so much that this doesn't depend on our goodness but on yours. We thank you so much that in, even though we are weak, you are all-powerful and you have overcome all the evil in this world once and for all upon the cross. And Father, we pray that you open our eyes to that today and help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, and to turn to you in, in true repentance. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.